Hey, good morning, Forest Park. Great to have you guys here today. Welcome. All right, let's do that again. All right, that was good. Welcome to our uh, continuing series called Mood Swings, Take Control Over Emotions and Find Joy. If you are watching online, we are so glad you have joined us, whether you're at home or running down the street or in your car, whatever, we're glad you're here. In fact, let's give them all a big hand for those who are online watching. Come on, welcome them here. It's great to have them. Hey, this is, uh, this is part three, so if you are new to Forest Park, or maybe this is the first time you've been to this series, highly encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, check out parts one and two. It'll answer some questions that I may not be able to get to today, and also give you some more information about taking control over our emotions. And want to give a big thanks to Jason for filling in for me last week. Lan and I were in Florida, had a wonderful time, spoke at a church in Vero Beach last weekend, so uh, we had a wonderful time there, and glad to be Back. Hey, before we get into part three of this, we do want to go over our mission. Why do we do what we do at Forest Park? Quite simple. We do what we do here because we want to help people follow Jesus one step at a time. That's why we have Sunday morning services, why we have groups, why we have outreach, why we have all that we do here. We want to come alongside you and help you to follow Jesus. Everybody has a next step. And your next step might be different than the person sitting beside you. We just want to come along and say, okay, let's help you discover whatever that next step is. And we want to help you take it so that you can follow closely uh, to Jesus. All right, let's jump into part three of this series. Uh, In South Africa, there is a well-known story about a particular tribe. When a member of this tribe acts badly or does something wrong, he must take his place alone at the center of the village. Every member of the tribe gathers around him, and each member, man, woman, and child, lets him have it. Except they don't list what he did wrong. They list every good quality they know about him. Now, I don't know if this story is true, but can you imagine what a different world we would inhabit if it were not only for that particular tribe, but for all of our tribes? Can you imagine what kind of world we would live in if when someone did something wrong, rather than pouncing on them and making sure they know what they did wrong and humiliating them or rubbing it in their face, we would begin to concentrate on the other 150 wonderful uh, you know, character traits that they have and personality that they have and all the things that they've accomplished in life. Now, here's what I find interesting. Every time I tell that story, there's a collective sigh of relief when I get to the part where the tribe members love the man rather than judge the man, rather than beating him, rather than embarrassing him, rather than insulting him, rather than reminding him of all his wrong. They layer upon him praise for all of the good qualities. Why is it we feel a sense of relief when we get to that part? Why do we respond so warmly to that story? Because we know in the core of our beings, humiliating people, highlighting wrongs, pointing out flaws, ultimately never changes people. And we know that most people are trying their best to do the right thing, but often fail. And receiving grace is so much more refreshing than anger or judgment or impatience or another lecture about how we ought to change. So, and here's kind of the core of today's message. If we know grace to others feels so much better when we give it and when we see it, 
If we know showing compassion toward other people when they fail seems to help them change a whole lot more than condemnation or guilt or long lectures, then why in the world do we not treat ourselves the same way? Why do we berate ourselves, humiliate ourselves, talk down to ourselves, show little to no compassion to the person in the mirror? Simply this, we cannot give what we do not have. If we lack compassion for ourselves, if we struggle to forgive ourselves when we fail, if we battle to show love for the person who answers to our name, then we will consistently struggle to provide compassion, forgiveness, and love to other people. We cannot give what we do not have. Well, we might fake it. We might do it because it's the thing to do, but we won't be authentic when we do so. We will fail the genuine test. And I want you to listen carefully as I set this whole message up today. You and I will never be able to take control of our emotions and live in joy if we are unable to show genuine, authentic self-compassion to ourselves when we screw up. So how do we go about having self-compassion? How do we move toward grace-based living, self-acceptance, true love for who we are? Well, I've learned it all begins by what Dr. Susan David defines as showing up. Here's what showing up means, all right? I'm going to do the best I can to set this up at the beginning, and then we'll get into some other things that will hopefully practically put this into your, your life. Showing up simply means facing your thoughts, emotions, and behaviors willingly with curiosity and kindness. No matter how beautiful or ugly those thoughts are, no matter how beautiful or ugly those emotions are, no matter how beautiful or ugly those behaviors are, you face them, you square up, you look them in the eye, and you do so with curiosity why did I act that way? Why do I think that way? Why did I behave that way? And also with kindness, grace and love and acceptance of who you are, what you've done, and a move toward becoming free of those things. Dr. Susan David continues. She says, in modern life, we often find ourselves at the edges of our own dark places, all the more terrifying for being inside us. Sometimes these places are filled with demons, Sometimes they are only a few little spooklets hiding in the corners. But whether the creatures represent major traumas or minor embarrassments, terrors or ticks, they can keep us hooked. Hooked. What does it mean to be hooked? We are hooked when the ugly things we find lurking around inside of us have power over us. They control us. They play with our emotions. They lift us and they drop us. They berate us and they bully us. There are some people sitting in this auditorium. There are some people watching online right now. You are hooked into some kind of negative emotion. It picks you up and it drops you. One day you're up here and you feel as if you can take on the world. The next day, 24 hours later, you are at the bottom and you feel like everybody hates you and the world is out to get you. Some days you are just at peace and you are calm and it literally can be just a couple hours later. You are angry, you are frustrated, you are hooked to depression, hooked to anger, hooked to disappointment, jealousy, fear, you name it. And we promise that we'll do better, but we don't. We commit to thinking better, but we think the same old mess that we used to think we swear we will never blow up at our kids again and we do it we're in this hook 
up and down, up and down, over and over and over again. And a lot of it is due to shame and guilt and past failures and an inability to forgive ourselves for screwing up. And we look back at yesterday and we see the things that we did wrong and we drag that with us and it brings us down and then we try to forget and we try to forgive and we try to put it somewhere and then it all comes back again and we go up and down. We're in a vicious loop. You know what? We didn't just wake up one day and decide to be angry. We have reasons. I don't think anybody wakes up and says, you know, for the next two weeks, I'm just going to be depressed. I don't care what anybody says. I've just decided I want to be depressed. I don't think anybody grabs, you know, a a beer or, you know, a glass of wine and says, I'm going to keep drinking until I'm just numb. I'm going to keep drinking until I'm addicted and it destroys my family and it destroys my job. Nobody begins those ways. But we get into this loop and we get depressed and we get angry. We reach for something to numb the pain or we reach for something that we think will help us cope, help us get through. So, in light of what we've experienced... How do we get off the hook? How do we get off the hook, this loop of negative emotions? That's what today's message is about. How do we accept the reality of multiple relationships that cracked and fell apart, physical challenges we might have that makes us feel weak and makes us feel defeated, or personal failures that we've, you know, uh, got ourselves involved in? Well, years of research shows experiencing satisfaction in the face of trauma Sad situations, worries, regrets, etc., depends not so much on what you experience, but how you deal with what you experience. If you want to learn how to get off the hook, if you want to learn how to get off the loop, if you will, it's not, it's not trying to avoid bad things in your life. Bad things are going to happen to everybody. We could go around this room this morning and say, hey, hey, tell me you know, the worst thing that's happened to you, and you would have a traumatic story, and then somebody else would have a traumatic story, and someone else would have a traumatic story. And some of you would be amazed at what other people in the room have gone through. And yet some of the people who've gone through the worst things in this room have been able to manage themselves and get themselves off of the loop, off of the treadmill, if you will, and go on to accomplish great things and have a wonderful marriage. Other people who've gone through some very similar things have got themselves in a mess and they are you know, addicted to this or they're depressed over here and their life is falling apart. It's not what you experience, but how we deal with what we experience. We have to, part of showing up is asking ourselves some very hard questions in light of everything we've experienced. Do we bottle our emotions? Do we brood over the things that have happened to us? Do we allow what's happened to us to control us? Or do we face what's happened and accept responsibility for responding wisely? Showing up involves acknowledging our thoughts, and I love this. this, this hit me so hard. Acknowledging our thoughts, whatever those thoughts are, acknowledging our thoughts without ever having to believe they're actually true. Let me explain what I mean. As a child, I believed I was in the way. Now, I could sit here for the next 30 minutes and tell you how I came to that place in my life. And if you've been at Forest Park and you've heard a lot of my story, then you already can kind of connect the dots as to why I felt that I was a person who was kind of in the way of my family, in the way of my friends. 
I was convinced I was intruding on people's space. I was convinced most people preferred me to not be around, but there I was, so they had to take care of me. They had to accommodate my presence, if you will. For instance, if my aunts, uncles, or cousins were going out to dinner or to see a movie, I was nervous to tag along because I thought they would prefer me to stay behind. They would have a better time without me. And because of this loop, because of this hook, because of this treadmill I was on, this way of thinking, I read into everyone's facial expressions. I read into everyone's conversations. I read into everyone's comments and body language. I thought they were talking about me when they were sitting over in the corner talking. I thought they were talking. I thought I was the subject of their conversation. They were tolerating me. They were forced to accept my company, and every single time they would laugh or snicker or body language would be a certain way, I was thinking to myself, because of this loop I was on, I was thinking, they're they're talking about me. They wish that I wouldn't go along. They wish that I would stay behind. And this bled over into my young adult years, and even as an adult, I doubted people's acceptance of me. I was hooked in this vicious loop. I didn't know how to show up. I I didn't know how to be fully present. I didn't know how to acknowledge my thoughts. This is the way I think. This is the loop I'm on. I think people want to reject me. I think people want me out of their life. I don't think people really want me here. But yet, acknowledging them without accepting those things were true. I didn't have the ability to decipher what was true, what was not true. I didn't have the maturity and the emotional health to be able to say, that's a lie, that isn't true, they're not talking about me, they're not whispering behind my back. And as you can imagine, this kind of loop in this young child and young teenager and young adult's life created raging emotional storms inside me. I held myself captive a slave to lies, to negative voices bouncing around in my head, to crazy talk, to ridiculous conversations. I did not know how to show up. I didn't know how to be fully present in the moment. I didn't know how to accept me, to love me, to show compassion to myself. I believed every thought coursing through my brain. And for people like me, most of those thoughts were not good. Is there anybody in this room as crazy as I was? No, nobody else, just me, right? Okay, right there, good. We got some other, some nuts in the audience, right? Okay, good. Listen to me very carefully, okay? Many of you who struggle with negative emotions, anger, depression, disgust, anxiety, here is one reason you struggle. Okay, I certainly don't know all the reasons, don't have time to get into even two or three. Just here's one that we're talking about today. You, the reason you struggle is you believe the thoughts coursing through your brain. You are unable to decipher what's true from what's not. You dance to the music your brain plays, and like mine, your brain plays a dirge, a sad song rather than a joyful song. You don't know how to show up, to be confident enough to acknowledge what's true and what's not. And because this is so, you are trapped. You are stuck. Trapped where? Stuck how? Trapped in lies. Stuck in the mire of crazy talk. And the reason we're doing a series like this is to introduce truth into the middle of it. Because when you know the truth... The truth can root out the lies you've been given from your family, lies you've been given from ex-spouses, lies you've been given from neighbors and colleagues, lies you've given yourself. 
And when those lies are able to be rooted out of your system and truth replaces those lies, the loop that brings you down starts to bring you up. And the loop of depression and anxiety and anger and fear gets snapped, it gets cut in two, and you are for the first time in your life free. So here's here's how we're going to help get ourselves off this treadmill, if you will, okay? We're going to take a look at three stories from the life of Jesus. Quick overview. I'm not going to walk through the details of each of these stories. I'm not going to do that. Just kind of give you a bird's eye view. And if I do a decent job, you're going to notice the similarities between these three stories. And we're going to discover together an eternal principle that begins to set us free. How does that sound? That sounds amazing, Scott. I can't wait. All right. The first story comes from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to give you the cliff notes, okay? There is a man who is paralyzed, lying by a pool of water. Around him were many other people who were unable to walk due to various physical challenges. Legend says, and he believed it, and I want you to catch this. I want you to let this sink down inside of you. He believed this story. That every now and then, an angel would come down from heaven and stir the water in the pool. And whoever got into the water first would be healed. And this man believed the legend and remained at the pool for 38 years. Now, some of you who were somewhat astute and kind of heard me speak before, you're, you're connecting a few dots here. This man believed a story that kept him trapped for nearly four decades. He laid there waiting for an angel to stir the water. He didn't know when the angel was going to come. And whenever wind would blow, is that an angel or is that just the wind? He didn't know. Maybe it's an angel. Maybe it's just the wind. Who knows what it is? I think it's an angel. And then he didn't have anybody to pick him up because he couldn't walk. And he laid there hopeful that somebody would pick him up and carry him into the pool. And he would be the first one into the water. And then maybe he would be healed. But he didn't have anybody. So one day Jesus shows up and asks the man an incredible question. He says, what do you want? What do you want? And the way the man responds to Jesus reveals just how defeated and discouraged and convinced that he would be stuck in his paralyzed condition forever. Jesus says, what do you want? And the man responds back, I want to be healed, but. I want to be healed, but I have no one to put me in the water. I want to be healed, But when the angel comes and stirs the water, I can't get into the water fast enough. Other people get into the water before me. Can you sense the defeat? Can you detect the trap? Do you catch the loop the man is on? I'm dependent. Here it is. If you don't see it, let me point it out to you. I am dependent on an angel and a kind person. And if the angel doesn't come and stir the water, then I'm stuck. If a friend doesn't get me into the water first, I'm trapped. And I have waited for 38 years, and the angel and friend never came together for me. And here's what happened. Interestingly, Jesus did not teach him how to get into the water faster. 
Oh, okay, well, I didn't know that. Let me, let me give you a point of this, okay? Here's, here's what you do, all right? When you're sure that the angel has stirred the water, punch that guy over there, push her out of the way, and your closest route to the water is right there. So slide in. And hopefully, if you can punch him and push her and slide there, you'll get healed. It's not what he did. Nor did Jesus teach him how to take advantage of his situation. Well, sir, I mean, I, I know you're paralyzed and you're not able to walk. But man, you've got a golden opportunity to market this situation. I mean, there are no doubt some businesses that would love to come alongside you and promote your need to the community. And, you know, maybe you won't walk, but I think you could raise a lot of money here. No. Jesus taught him an incredible lesson. Sir, you don't need the angel, and you don't need the friend. What you need is standing in front of you. The ability to walk is yours for the taking. Stand and walk. He snapped the loop. And the man did. The bottom line for this man, everything could change for you right now. Not when an angel comes and stirs the water, not when a friend is willing to sacrifice for you, but right now, right here, you don't need an angel, you don't need a friend. What you need is to take up your bed and walk. What you want is yours for the taking. Admit you've been stuck. Admit you've been hooked into a loop that has kept you here for four decades and trust me, to make a change. Second story. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26, traditionally known as the woman at the well. The story tells of this woman. We do not know her name. She came to draw water around noon, the hottest part of the day. It's unusual. Normally, women would come at the first part of the day before the sun came up and everything got very hot and steamy and they would get the water and walk back home, but not this woman. She comes at the hottest part of the day, which is quite unusual. And Jesus stops by the well and notices her and asks her for some water and proceeds to enter into a conversation with her. And several things are obvious by her actions and how she interacts with Jesus and what she does and what she says and all these things. And here's what we can kind of pull out of the story that tells us a little bit about her and the loop she's on. We know that she's been worrying what other people might think of her. That's the only conclusion we can draw for the fact that she would come at noon. She wanted to avoid as many people as possible. So she came at the hottest part of the day to get water so she could avoid the crowd that would typically come. She probably felt judged. She probably felt other people looking at her in a kind of a cross way. So she tried to avoid as many people as possible. She had, we know this from the story. She's been in and out of several marriages. In fact, she's been married five times, and she's kind of given up on marriage, and now she's just living with someone. She's also trying to find someone to make her happy because she's had six different men that we know of. And she's also confused about religion. Because she says to Jesus, I don't know who to worship or where to worship, but one day, one day I'll understand and I'll know how and who to worship. Do you see the trap? Can you sense the defeat in the story? Basically what she's saying is I can't find the right person to marry, nor can I find a prophet to show me the way. Jesus steps in and snaps the loop. 
He told her that what she was needing was standing in front of her, embodied within himself. She didn't need another man, and she didn't need another prophet. Everything you need is right in front of you, not out there, not one day, not when you find what you're looking for, not when you come across Mr. Right. Not when some prophet comes along and answers all your questions about religion and then you'll finally know the truth. No, 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 no. Everything you need is standing in front of you. It's all for your taking, trust me, to make a change. The third and final story is found in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. It's a beautiful story. It's the final chapter of Peter's denial of Jesus. And if you know the story, you know how powerful it is. Maybe some of you are not familiar with the story or it's been a long time since you heard it, so let me give you the heart of the story. On the night Jesus was betrayed and sentenced to be crucified, some of the people hostile to Jesus asked Peter, one of the closest disciples of Jesus, if he knew Jesus. And Peter, of course, afraid for his own life, says, I don't know Jesus. And then someone else says to him, I think you do know Jesus. I've seen you. I think you're one of the disciples that follows Jesus. And Peter, for the second time, says, I'll tell you, I do not know the man. And then someone else puts a little pressure on him and says, Peter, you know Jesus. In fact, you are one of the closest disciples he's ever had. And then Scripture tells us that Peter calls down, curses upon himself, and says, I do not know Jesus. And as you can imagine, Peter realizes what he's done, and when he does, he is broken. He's crushed. He's remorseful. He feels condemned. He goes out and weeps. In fact, the story tells us that he wept bitterly. You know, there's a difference in weeping and weeping bitterly. There's a difference in just being sad and being crushed. There's a difference in just realizing that you've done something wrong and then feeling as if you have blown everything in your life. That's where Peter is. Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He feels condemned. He feels as if he has lacked courage under fire and he can't believe what he's done to Jesus after all the promises he made. Do you see the trap? Can you detect the loop? Do you see the treadmill he's on? I'll never amount to much. I'm a failure. I blew my chance. And and I believe, I really believe, if what I'm getting ready to tell you would have never happened, if what happens next did not occur, I think Peter would have stayed in this loop for a long time. I think he would have stayed on that treadmill of defeat and discouragement for years. I think he would have remained in a condemned state and we would have not heard from Peter maybe ever again or for a long, long time. But here's what happened. Jesus is crucified, dies, and is resurrected. And for 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus meets with his disciples and he teaches them and instructs them. And at some point during the 40 days, Jesus goes and finds Peter. And Jesus knows Peter's discouraged. He knows Peter feels condemned. He knows Peter feels guilty. And he asks him an interesting question. Peter, do you love me? You see, see, that's the loop Peter was on. See, Peter was in the loop of, I I failed. My faith was tested, and I screwed up. 
I said that I would never leave him, I would never forsake him, that if everybody else walked away, I wouldn't walk away. I must not love him. See, that's a loop some of you are on. Do I really love God? Me and all my mess-ups and all my failures and all my sins. Some of you have even wondered if you're worthy to be here. Some of you are watching at home because you feel too condemned to come to church. You think somehow if you walk in this building that maybe somebody would judge you or look down at you. You're in a loop, and that loop started for you a long time ago. And you've been in that loop for a long, long time. You feel condemned to lift your hands. You feel condemned to pray. You feel guilty for opening the Bible. You don't think you're worthy to come to church. You're on a loop. And Peter was in a loop. And Jesus goes right to the heart of the loop and says, Peter, do you love me? And I can imagine Peter's like, oh, Lord, yeah, you know, I, I denied you. You know I love you, but Peter, do you love me now? Like right where you are, do you love me now? Go feed my sheep. Peter, second time, do you love me? See, some loops take a little bit, a little bit more pressure. So, some loops take a little bit more cutting. Some loops are just a little bit deeper. Do you love me? Lord, you, you know I love you, but I, now I'm not so sure how faithful I'll be to you. Before I was sure, now I'm not so sure. You know I love you, but I, Peter, go feed my sheep. And then a third time, three denials, three affirmations. Peter, for the third time, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you then go feed my sheep. Peter, you're good right now. I've accepted you. I have forgiven you. I've reinstated you. Not after you cry more, not after you wallow in your sin more, not after you prove yourself to yourself and to other people. Right now, right here, in this moment, go feed my sheep. The loop is snipped, Peter's off the treadmill, the answer is right in front of him, trust me to make a change. Everything you need is in front of you. First story, get up and walk now. Second story, drink the water you need now. Third story, go and feed my people now. And in order for those three people to do what they had to do, they had to accept the truth about who they are. They had to accept the voices that were in their head. And they had to choose to not believe those voices, but rather believe the voice, Jesus. See, our movement toward a better life begins with showing up. Accepting who we are, the good about us, the not so good about us, the ugly about us. Accepting the truth of who we are and bringing all those behaviors and bringing all those thoughts and bringing all those screw-ups and bringing all those denials and bringing all the failed marriages and bringing all the broken bodies, bringing it all to Jesus. 
and saying, here it is. Here it is. And I've been on a loop for a long time and I feel condemned and I feel dirty and I feel yucky and I feel guilty. What do you say, Jesus? I say, go feed my sheep. What do you say, Jesus? I say, take up your bed and walk. What do you say, Jesus? I say, go, go. For the water you drink will always keep you thirsty, but the water I give you will satisfy your soul. Go. See, too many of us are waiting. Waiting for healing, waiting for answers, waiting to be loved, waiting to be forgiven, waiting to be accepted, waiting. There's some of us sitting in this room, we've been waiting, waiting for years Waiting for somebody to affirm you. Waiting for a father to tell you he loves you. Waiting for an ex-husband or wife to come back. Waiting for someone to hire you and pay you what you're worth. Waiting for your body to be better. Waiting, waiting, waiting. There's some of you at home waiting, 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 waiting. You'll never move into your future by waiting. And I've learned when we're in waiting... When we think we don't have what we need, when someone's holding out on us, our emotions are all over the place. We're up one day, we're down the next. Someone smiles at us, we feel good. Someone frowns at us, we feel bad. Someone takes us out on a date, we feel good. Someone rejects our our, our invitation, we feel bad. We get the job, we feel good. We lose the job, we feel bad. We go 10 days and we're sober, we feel good. We mess up, we feel bad. We're up and we're down. Our mood swings are ridiculous. But when we show up, when we're fully present, when we own what's true about ourselves, when we realize everything we need is right in front of us, when we become self-aware and self-compassionate and our emotions calm and our confidence builds, and from our awareness and compassion and confidence, we give the same to others. And as we have received from Jesus, we give to those around us. Now listen, some of you are going to get this next couple minutes and others of you are going to think, man, he really is messed up. It it doesn't mean, because this is going to help, this is is gold. It doesn't mean we we have to smite or slay all the personal demons. When I say demons, I don't mean literal, just figuratively speaking in our head. It doesn't mean we have to smite or slay them all. I've learned... This is the part I'm talking about. I've learned some demons you have to figure out how to live with. Because they're always going to be present. You might as well get to know them, make a bed for them, figure out the living arrangements, or you'll kill yourself before you ever kill them. But here's some good news that might encourage you. When we show up fully, I mean with self-awareness and self-compassion and grace in tow, When we become honest about who we are and what we are and we stare into the eyes of Jesus himself, even the worst of the worst of the demons usually back down. And can I let you in on a little secret? So many of the scariest demons, the ones who kept me up at night, the ones I thought I would never defeat, the ones I was convinced would do me in, weren't demons at all. They were normal desires and behaviors exaggerated and embellished by lethal religion. And they held me in bondage more securely than any demon of hell could create. And Jesus snapped the loop of religion too. And it was probably the greatest day of my life. And so I've learned 
Simply showing up. I mean, facing up to the scary things in our lives and giving them names and calling them out strips them of their power, exposes their weaknesses, and removes the sting. That's what happened in each of the stories in the book of John. Each character faced their demon. Let me point them out, okay, in case you missed it. The man at the pool, he had to face the demon of, I'm not enough. I need an angel. I need someone stronger and more qualified than me. The woman at the well, she had to face the demon of, I need a partner and a prophet to love me and show me the truth. Peter on the side of the lake, and Jesus meets him. The demon of, I failed and I'm no longer worthy. So can I ask you, what is it for you? What's your demon? Physical challenges, relational challenges, personal challenges. You know, most of the people I've interacted with who wrestle with any or all of these challenges, they get into tug of war. You ever play tug of war when you were a kid? You know, you get the rope and you get your friends or your buddies on one side and you get your, the enemies, the opponents on the other and there's either water or something in the middle and you're, you know, you're trying to pull them in and they're trying to pull you in. I've learned in life that we get into that tug-of-war battle with all of our character issues and behaviors and demons and all those different things. And, and here's what we do. We, we, we go to church three or four weeks in a row. We read our Bible every day, like three or four days, 10 days, 12 days in a row. We're sober for a few days. Man, we are pulling, aren't we? We're winning. We're pulling them, and they're, they're getting ready to fall in the mud, and then we screw up, and what happens? They begin to pull us toward the mud. Then we're anxious again, and we're nervous again, and we're condemned again, and then we make promises again, and we draw lines in the sand, and we say, I'll never, 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 never. I got to get back to church. I got to get back to my Bible, and we do all those things, and we start pulling those demons, and they, they get closer and closer to the mud, and then we screw up, and then they start pulling us back, and we live our whole life in this tug-of-war battle. Pull, pull, pull. That's why so many of us are tired and discouraged and worn out. We end the tug of war by dropping the rope. I don't do it anymore. I just don't do it anymore. I quit. I don't fight anymore. I just give up. The paralyzed man dropped the rope and went home. Can you imagine the story he told on his way? The woman at the well dropped the rope and told her friends all over the city, you can too. Peter dropped the rope, and a few days later, he preached, and 3,000 people began to follow him, Jesus. So, so what rope do you need to drop? What, what treadmill do you need to get off of? What loop needs to be snipped in your life? What hook do you need to get off of? Let's pray. Father, here we are today. Here we are with... Uh, our mess-ups and screw-ups and wins and losses. Here we are with our weeks and weeks of sobriety and our hours and hours of defeat. Here we are with all of our promises and all of our broken ones too. Here we are with our hands lifted high and our arms folded in discouragement. Here we are with days of joy and nights of fear and anxiety. Here we are with all of our shiny halos and all of our dirty ones too.
Here is the truth about us. And here is the loop that so many of us are on. We have believed lies about ourselves. Some of us are stuck at a pool and we've been there a long time waiting for some magic to happen and waiting for somebody to set us free. Here we are sitting at the well, coming at the high noon so nobody would see us. Keep drinking the same old water we've drunk for years. Here we are, failed like Peter, messed up and discouraged. Here we are. Would you look us in the eye? Would you tell us to get up and walk? Would you tell us about the water you have that will quench our soul so we'll never be thirsty again? Would you tell us that you love us and we can go and feed your sheep? Because what you say about us is more important than what we say about ourselves. Speak into us. Liberate us. Set us free. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for your compassion and your forgiveness. Thank you for saying who we are and empowering us with your grace. In the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, amen. Have an incredible day. Thanks for being with us.